0: Amen. That's why we're here is because love came for us. And Jesus Christ came and gave us an incredible gift of salvation. It's only because of how good and how gracious he is to us. What a privilege it is to be able to share with you regarding this Christmas season as we kick off a new season and as we celebrate the work that God has done and what he desires to do Uh, I knew that today was going to be a big day, and I really believe that, especially when I got here last night, and uh, we had been in Birmingham, Alabama for the week, had a great Thanksgiving. But as we arrived, I came here to the church to kind of set up some things, and I looked up, and the Goodyear blimp was floating over top of the church. And I thought, now some people would suggest they were actually here for a football game, Uh, But that being said, I I just assumed it had to do with such excitement about being in church and celebrating this Advent season. Certainly that would give us more reason to celebrate. I know some of you Clemson fans think you already have a good reason to celebrate. Uh, I will tell you, um, actually I'm glad Clemson won yesterday. Uh, Some of you guys are going to disagree with this, but it's because I want them to be winning next week when they lose to Virginia Tech. Uh, So just thought I'd throw that out there real quick. I doubt that I'll say anything at all about it next Sunday. Just to give y'all a heads up, so it is a blessing to be able to celebrate this Christmas season with you. And I have a twofold focus today. Uh, first, I want us to be uh, to begin to look um, at different elements of the Christmas season, and today that element is going to be hope. Um, but we're also going to look at how we can bring that hope to our community. I gave you guys, uh, during the announcement time earlier, gave you some examples of how we can bring that hope to others. This Christmas season is not just a time for us to celebrate the historical event of Christ's coming to us a first time. This is actually an opportunity for us to share the love that he brought, the hope and the joy and the peace that he brought, to share that with the world around us. Our world desperately needs that. And if there is any way possible that God could use us... To help bring this same hope to them, then we ought to be doing it. So I really want to encourage you with that, especially as we uh, move forward throughout this Christmas season. But even today is a great time to start. I mentioned uh, helping out with the firefighters or the adopt a family stuff or uh, whatever other areas of ministry where you feel God is leading you to do. I want to encourage you with that. But before we get started, I would like for us to I want you to to hear a scripture passage that's read. I'm going to warn you, it's it's a few verses long, uh, and then I'm going to have you watch a video that will sort of help us visualize what we have read. So the passage that we're going to look at comes from Luke chapter 1, and it's going to be verses 5 through 25. Again, it's a relatively long passage, but it is a great image of the hope that Christ brought to us in the Christmas story. This is what it says, beginning in Luke chapter 1, in verse 5, and I'll be reading from the New International Version today. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zachariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right of the altar of incense. When Zachariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zachariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Let me just stop for a moment. He was very wise in the way he said that. He referred to himself as an old man and she is just well along in her years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zachariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. And they realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. If you would watch this brief video that should illustrate what we've just read. We're going to take a look at specifically the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth, but understand today that as we look, uh, first of all, this is not about Zechariah and Elizabeth. It is about the message that their son would bring, that he would point others to Christ. But in many ways, it is also about us because I think there are many of us who can somewhat relate to Zechariah and Elizabeth Life doesn't always turn out the way we would expect. Sometimes it actually turns out better than we expected. If I were to look back over the first 40 plus years of my life, I would be able to identify many hopes and dreams, some that worked out just as I had hoped, and many more that didn't turn out the way I planned. For example, as a young man, I had hopes and dreams of becoming one of two Neither turned out the way I had hoped. The first was to be a professional football player. This is a dream that is common among young people today, but very few will ever achieve that dream. Some lack the natural ability for such an achievement. Others lack the discipline to become great, and then others, which is where I would fall in, lack the natural ability and the discipline to be able to be that football player. The second dream that I hoped for was a little bit less glamorous. I know it sounds crazy, but I wanted to be a trash man. There were three reasons why I wanted to be a trash man as a little kid. The first was the idea of being able to work outside all the time. What an incredible job. I mean, they didn't have to sit behind a desk. They could just enjoy being outside and enjoying the elements. The second reason was there were... Uh, trash men that would come to our neighborhood and they were all so friendly to little kids and they were so nice. And I got to tell you, as a little kid, you wanted to be like those people that spent time giving you attention. Therefore, I wanted to be like these guys. And the third reason, I know this sounds really dumb. I, I can remember sitting in front of the TV with my mom And She was watching something, and I have no idea what they were talking about, but the statement was made talking about the American people and said that the American people throw away millions of dollars every year. Now, again, I have no idea what they were talking about, but in my mind as a kid, I thought, I'm going to go find that millions of dollars that they're throwing away. Well, I will tell you that there are certain hopes and dreams that we had as children, and we ought to be grateful that things didn't turn out the way that we wanted them to. As I grew up, my hopes and dreams changed. They involved a wife, a family, work, financial status, and a million other things. Sometimes those hopes were fulfilled. Sometimes they were not. Sometimes they happen, but not exactly the way that I planned. Sometimes I got even better than what I had hoped for. If I challenged any of you today to think about the surprise joys in your life, you could probably all name at least a few. For me, a surprise joy, when Linda and I planned on getting married, we had in mind exactly what our family would look like. Two kids, we would wait at least five or six years before we had our first one. The first part of that worked out. We did wait five or six years before we had our first one. It was six years after we got married that Andrew was born. After two kids, we just weren't satisfied. And you know what? If we'd have stopped at two, we would miss the joy that comes from our third son. Sometimes God gives us better than what we had hoped for. And we must recognize that There are things that happen that it's for our best. Sometimes, though, life goes the other way. Part of life can be marked by the unexpected loss of employment, or the unexpected or maybe even expected divorce that occurs, a failed business, or an individual whom we loved who was taken away from us. What started in hope ended in disappointment it is possible that unexpected failures or disappointments and letdowns come to mind more easily than the unexpected blessings. Often we are very quick to remember the things that hurt, and maybe we do not take as much time to celebrate the surprise blessings. The hurts of life can sometimes come back to our minds and our emotions, and they can keep us from moving ahead And experiencing life to the fullest. And I would suggest that probably each of us at some point or another have felt that weight. I know that some in here can especially identify with the family that we read about today. Few things in life are so challenging than when a couple deeply desires children. But they're unable to conceive. Whereas they once hoped that hope has consistently basically fallen short. Zachariah and Elizabeth's life wasn't turning out like they had hoped. I imagine that as they got married, they dreamed about what their family would look like. They thought to themselves, we are God honoring people. And we know that based on the fact that they were individuals who sought the Lord. We know that Zachariah is serving in the temple and he has been chosen to represent his people before God. God chooses to speak to him, according to the video, after 400 years of silence. Clearly, Zachariah was a man of God. Perhaps there was a thought within him that surely God will bless me and my family. Surely, if God's going to bless anyone, he will bless Zachariah and Elizabeth. Even Elizabeth comes from the line of Aaron. She is one who, if anything, she ought to know the word of God and know the reality of God. And certainly they were both righteous people. Yet their righteousness did not necessarily lead to the blessings that they had hoped for. And as time passed, what we begin to recognize is that this brokenness is much deeper than an empty womb. It leads to an empty spirit. By the way, this was a common thing that did happen often. We see it in the Old Testament on repeated occasions where an individual is unable to bear children and she pleads with God because she knows that God has a plan for, and in their culture, it was almost a scarlet letter to not be able to bear children. It was as if somehow they were less, valuable to society because they could not bear children. Probably the greatest example for me is a young lady named Hannah. Hannah was married to an incredibly godly man named Elkanah, and he loved her more than anything else. Yet Hannah was unable to bear children. And she goes to the temple, and she is weeping and praying, and the priest comes up, and he sees her. And she is so emotional. That he thinks she's drunk. Why was she so emotional? Because in their culture, if a woman could not bear children, she was considered of no value. She was not the good wife that her husband deserved. By the way, Elkanah loved her anyway, so it really didn't matter. But Hannah wanted so much to have a child. By the way, Hannah would have a child. His name would be Samuel, and he would become one of the greatest men in all of Israel. God blessed and provided, and in a similar fashion, apparently, we have a couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, who have prayed, and they have sought God's intervention because she was childless. She was barren. Again, the emptiness of her womb is surpassed only by the emptiness of her spirit. I would suggest that empty spirits are all around us today. We work with people who have empty spirits. We are married to people who have empty spirits. We parent children with empty spirits. And if we are honest, there may even be times that we are the ones who have empty spirits. It seems as though we can have all sorts of other things, but still feel like there is something missing. I have some really good news for you today emptiness is not the last word. While Advent does not ignore the emptiness, neither is it about the emptiness. It is about the fullness of time when Jesus would first come. Advent is about preparing in hope for when Jesus, the source of hope, will come again. So it's not just about what happened 2,000 years ago, where Zachariah and Elizabeth will now give birth to the one who will prepare others for the way of the Lord, to prepare the path so that others will be ready for the message. It is just as much about the hope that we have for the second coming of Christ. And this story can help us do just that. Each person in here has experienced an unfulfilled hope, but we are each offered a new source of hope in this season of Christmas. I would suggest that Zachariah is not all that different from us. Let me explain. Zachariah was not prepared for this great news of joy that came his way. The angel shows up and the first thing that he does is he is fearful. Now I will suggest that I think his fear may have been a little bit justified. And certainly the image that was there, he's supposed to be in the temple by himself. And all of a sudden, this angel, this light appears. It probably would have scared me too. But notice that his hope had apparently left him. Interesting, his son's role was to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Actually, what the angel does is he tells him here, do not be afraid for your prayers have been answered. This is where I think we can connect a little bit with Zechariah. I think there may be times that we pray and we almost do not really expect God to move. Zechariah apparently had prayed that God would provide a child, that God would bless them and that truly his wife would have value in society. But he prayed, and when God shows up to do it, Zechariah finds himself arguing with, well, how can this be? I wonder if there aren't times that we pray and we almost expect God to say no. We almost question whether or not God truly has the ability to do what we're asking him to do. I'm reminded of the father who brought his son to Jesus and he was seeking a touch of God. And he says to him, Lord, if you are able, would you heal my son? And Jesus quickly responds, if, if only you had the faith to believe, then it could be done. And the father responded, I do believe now, help me with my unbelief. You know, the reality is that there are many of us who we are asking God to do something, but we no longer expect God to do it. We can learn how to hope from this story as we make preparations for the second coming though. Because as Zechariah is surprised by God's goodness and grace, God desires to surprise us as well, to give us a hope. There are four points I want to make with you this morning regarding this hope that God gives. The first is this, to be renewed in hope We must recognize our fears or admit the fears. We must reach a point where we are willing to no longer be dominated by those fears. When the angel first came to Zechariah, he was gripped with fear. He was afraid. And much like Mary, when the angel appears to her, and we'll talk about that one in, in one of the coming messages in this series, But when Mary had the angel appear, the first thing he said was, fear not. When the shepherds had the angels appear, the first thing they said, fear not. There is this idea that fear is associated, and that must be conquered first before you can deal with the hope issue. Don't be afraid. Take heart. It's important to note that Zachariah is not challenged or condemned on being afraid. In fact, his fear seems very natural, expected, even reasonable. Yet this fear dictates the first words of the angel on repeated occasions. Do not be afraid. Before the angel can move into the good news of Zechariah, he must address Zachariah's fear. I wonder what we are afraid of today. Are there things that keep us from truly being the people that God called us to be? Are there things that God wants to do in us, but fear cripples us from being able to take that step of faith and move forward? I believe today that the first thing that must be addressed is this issue of fear. The question is not whether or not we will be afraid. It is whether we will fear truly. And let me explain what I mean. In C.S. Lewis's The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. A young boy named Eustace seems to have no fear. It is not that he is fearless with courage, but that he lacks dread or awe. Jonathan Rogers in The World According to Narnia points out that finally in the presence of Aslan, Eustace develops a sense of fear that indicates awe. Understand that fear is a great thing as long as it is the right kind of fear. There is a fear that cripples us, that keeps us from becoming all that God would have us be. Yet we are to fear the Lord and to tremble in his presence. That doesn't mean that we're supposed to be afraid of him, but rather to recognize we do not deserve the privilege of being in his presence. To understand how great he is and how incomplete we are and how much grace we need even to stand before him. That's the kind of fear that we must have. God did not give us a spirit of fear. He gave us a spirit of power and authority. He gave us a spirit that will dwell within us. Tell you the truth, even that ought to cause us to tremble just a bit. The Spirit of God goes with you everywhere you go. Do you appreciate that? Do you recognize how good God is in offering that to you? The second thing that I want you to see is to be renewed in hope, we must act in faith. Fear is not Zachariah's final response to the angel's words. Unlike Jesus, John the Baptist is not conceived by the Holy Spirit. He is conceived by Zachariah out of faith. Let's read between the lines a little bit, and I'll try not to be too graphic here. Zachariah has been away on service in the temple, and when he returns home, he does not delay. Now, he risks opening his heart once again to the hope of pregnancy, and he has a physical relationship with his wife. He doesn't let fear of disappointment rule his life. He responds in faith. He acted on what the angel had told him. Now, I, I will tell you, I kind of chuckle a little bit as I think of uh, his immediate return home. First of all, he's talking with his wife. Well, actually, he's not because he can't speak. How does he explain to her what has taken place? You know, she had to ask, honey, why aren't you talking? Cat got your tongue? She had to be frustrated with him. Why won't you talk to me? Are you mad at me? You know, those are things that sometimes husbands and wives talk about. And I almost picture him playing with charades a little bit and trying to explain to her without actually opening his mouth about this promise that God had given. Maybe he waited, I don't know. But he acted in faith, believing that There was a promise that had been given. Obviously, he doubted enough to question the angel when he told him, you are going to have a son. Yet he acted in faith. And in doing so, an incredible hope is reborn within him. I think there are times in our lives that we need to act in faith as well. As we prepare for the Lord's return, we can strengthen our hope by acting in faith in line with the Lord's ongoing mission. We can participate in the Lord's mission by giving water in His name. We can participate in the Lord's mission by offering prayer in His name. We can participate in the Lord's mission by welcoming guests into our home and strangers into our church in His name. We can do all of this with great joy And we'll build our own hope. What would give you great joy that lines up with God's mission in Christ? Maybe it's helping with firefighters. Maybe it's helping with a family in need this Christmas. Maybe it's baking cookies for the Clemson Community Care event. Maybe it's something completely off the radar for anyone else in here. The point is, if you truly want to have your hope renewed, you must be willing to act in faith. This past week, I told you I had the privilege of uh, going to Birmingham, Alabama, spent some time just relaxing. Someone asked me what we did. Uh, I laid down for a while, and then I went for a walk, and I came back, and I laid down for a while, and then I went for another walk, and it was just a repetitive cycle, and we ate. We ate a lot. I had a great time. Uh, On Friday morning, I took my kids' Black Friday shopping. Now it wasn't as bad as anyone would think. Actually, uh, I took them and we spent that much money. It was fantastic. Uh, it was at least on that first trip. Uh, we walked to the Walmart. It's about a mile from Linda's mom's house to the Walmart, so we walked. We stopped at the McDonald's on the way, um, grabbed a couple of those sausage burritos and a couple sandwiches, and and we ate. There was one burrito that was left over. Now, normally what you do, and I'll blame Michael for it, uh, the five-year-old son, he asked for, he, he said, I want two burritos, not just one, two. Of course, how many did he eat? One. So we had one burrito left over, and normally you just toss it aside. And I looked at Andrew, I said, tell you what, grab that, maybe we'll run into somebody who needs it on the way to Walmart. Well, we got to the, almost to the Walmart front door, and a guy walks up and he says, hey, do you have anything that someone could eat? And Andrew had it tucked away in his his pocket. I said, you know what? He does. And he was able to give it to him. I, I want you to know that that man's eyes lit up. I don't know if he was expecting food or money or what he was expecting, but his eyes lit up immediately because someone helped meet a need. We walked around the corner inside the Walmart, and I looked at Andrew and I said, it felt good, didn't it? And you could see his face light up because it feels good to know that you can bring hope to other people. Let me encourage you during this season to be an instrument of hope to people around you. It will build your faith. It will build your hope. But it also will have the same effect on them. You have the privilege and the opportunity to bring that hope to people who desperately Needed. The third point is this to be renewed in hope, we must reject unhealthy shame. Elizabeth's barrenness is her disgrace, at least in their culture. She is unable to bear children, to bring a source of honor into their home. It's not an illness or a condition that only she knows about. It's, instead, it's almost like an addiction that everybody knows about. There's nothing secretive about it. Other people in town know that Elizabeth can't have any children. It's not something that they keep a secret. Everybody knows. Now, it's possible nobody ever talked about it. She was a godly woman. He was a godly man, and it's possible that others simply had such respect for her that nobody would ever say anything ugly about it, although sometimes people can be pretty mean. Sometimes individuals will look and they'll say, yeah, she's a godly woman. I'll bet she's got some other things going on. Why do you think God hadn't blessed her with a child? Probably many of them looked at her and her barrenness they saw as evidence to a sinful lifestyle. She carried around shame, shame that was unmerited. In the face of shame, she experiences the glory of the Lord as her own glory is restored. In becoming pregnant, she is no longer barren and she is no longer disgraced. She is graced by God. Imagine the reaction of her neighbors now. Remember, many of them probably wouldn't say anything, definitely not to her, about her barrenness. But imagine those neighbors when they hear she's pregnant. Do you think she wanted to tell people right away, I think that deep inside, she wanted to tell everybody right away. But according to the passage, she was five months into her pregnancy before she would reveal to anyone else that she was pregnant. You wonder why. Maybe it was a fear that perhaps she would lose this child and it would result in even greater shame. Whatever the reason, whatever the timing, Elizabeth's public appearance took courage because so many people looked at her probably as an ungodly woman at some point in her journey she had to reject the shame of her previous barrenness and display the grace of God now on display in her case in her body she finally rejected an unfounded social shame by pronouncing her, her pregnancy publicly What are you tempted to keep hidden because of fear or shame? Poverty? Debt? A wayward child? Maybe a past sin that if anyone ever found out, you would be devastated. I will tell you that Often it is within our shame when God chooses to work that he receives greater glory than ever before. We had a gentleman in our church in Pennsylvania, his name was Pete. Uh, Pete was um, involved with just about every area of ministry that the church had. He had been at the church for about four or five years before we got there. Uh, He was actually uh, a good man, a godly man but nobody knew the things that had taken place in his past. First week I was there, I was uh, pulled into my office, and he wanted me to know his story. He was a convicted sex offender, sex offender with children, and made some horrible choices. But God had performed a miracle in his life. He was not allowed to work with the children's ministry, the youth ministry, nothing like that. But I think he served in just about every other area of ministry. Nobody knew there is a website, it's called the Megan's Law website, where you can go on and you can look at uh, any convicted sex offenders in your area, but his offense had taken place before the mandatory reporting, so he wasn't on their website. A few years into the ministry while we were there, he had been such an incredible blessing to the church, and one day, one of the uh, board members contacted me and said, Pastor, I need you to go to the Megan's Law website because there's something on there that you need to see. I went, and sure enough, Pete's picture was on there. Apparently, some things had changed, and they had, um, some laws had changed, and they retroactively added his picture to the convicted sex offender website. I immediately called Pete and said, hey, Pete, you got two options. You can choose not to say anything and wait until others find out. Or you can share how God has transformed your life on the front end and give people the opportunity to hear your story. After a time of brokenness and prayer and weeping, Pete chose to share with the church. And one Sunday morning, I had him stand up in front of the congregation and share his story. Not all that different from what I did with Jonathan last Sunday. I will tell you that as Pete shared, the people in the church broke down weeping and crying and almost ashamed of themselves because there are often stereotypes. When we hear of someone who's a convicted sex offender, we think to ourselves, I don't want him to be a part of our lives. That's not the kind of person we want in our church What happens if our kids are in danger? We don't want something like that. And I will tell you, I'm at the top of that list. I I don't want that. But for the previous eight, nine years, they had known Pete not as a sex offender. They saw him as a man who had been transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ. After the service was over, Pete went back to his pew still weeping. I went up and I just kind of closed this out or tried to. And I watched as one by one, the people in the church came and wrapped their arms around Pete to let him know that the shame of his past simply led to the glory of Christ. Because if God could take a man who was so perverted and disgusting within our world and redeem him, What could God do in us? The shame that has kept us from experiencing freedom, God can turn it into glory. By the way, I'm not telling you to go out and become a convicted sex offender. What I am telling you is no matter what your shame may have been, God can turn it into good, so allow him to do so. For the sake of time, I'm just going to give you the last point, which is to be renewed in hope, we must embrace grace, which is what Elizabeth and what Zechariah would do. An interesting idea, John the Baptist is not necessary to the Christmas story. I don't know if you ever caught that. Uh, Jesus could have simply come and been born to Mary And God could have done a great work simply without even involving John the Baptist. So why did God involve John the Baptist? I know he was supposed to make a straight path for others so that they could follow after him. But really, did God need John the Baptist? Absolutely not. It is more likely that this is simply God's grace to a family that simply cried out to him. And God said, I'm going to use this child and bless we must embrace the grace that God offers to us. Let me just ask you very simply, what will you put your hope in this Christmas season? Is it Jesus Christ? How will you allow your hope to impact the people around you? Will you allow you to become God's instrument this Christmas season? If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you, Lord, we are so grateful today for the hope that you alone can give. Lord, I pray today that you would allow your Holy Spirit to work in us so that we might be your instruments, your tools, to bring hope to a world that desperately needs you. Help us to have our hope renewed. Perhaps there are those in here today and we have spent so much time praying And we no longer expect you to move. It's as if the hope has waned within us. Restore unto us your hope. And I pray that as you do so, that we would be able to walk as a light to those around us. We give you praise. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Pastor Wiggins is going to come. He's going to give you a brief update. And as he does so, this will actually be a great exercise of us bringing hope to others. So, would you give us an
1: update? You stand beside me. I can't. Our total goal was what thirty-one thousand. Pastor, read our amount that's come in. Thirty-one
0: thousand nine hundred and forty dollars.
1: <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen on behalf of those 12 missionary couples and the single missionary that we support, help support, scattered around the world this morning, bringing hope, I want to say thank you. And on behalf of those who will see the Jesus film that we're going to help in that ministry and they will receive Jesus for the first time, we say thank you. And I want to say I have prayed that God will suit a blessing to every person who made a faith promise commitment. Pastor, thank you.
0: Thank you so much for bringing hope to the world around us. As we close this morning, go in the peace and the grace of God and bring that hope to the world around you. Thank you for being with us today.